Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilder Jr. my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, My mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, 
but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties. They cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans Uh to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, 
our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. Defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not and we cannot accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds, and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So, even as I am very disappointed by the President's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America... This is the Dollamore Daily, and I'm Jesse Dollamore. Hey, everybody. Well, you, you may have noticed that I was a no-show last week. Well, my wife and I took what was supposed to be a relaxing weekend trip to the mountains to hang out with friends in a cabin in the snowy woods. And while I still had a good time... I ended up in a day quill haze for most of the time. But I am back, almost 100%, and I guess 80% Jesse D is better than zero Jesse D. Or at least I hope that's what you think. Uh, just a reminder for those of you who did miss the Dalmore Daily in my absence, 
Brittany Page and I host a twice-weekly audio podcast, and it was still published despite my illness last week. It's called I Doubt It with Dollamore, and you can subscribe to it for free anywhere that you can find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, even right on my website, dollamore.com. You see, it's easier for me to roll my sick ass out of bed and perch myself in front of a microphone to talk for an hour or so than it is to shower, comb my hair, and try to make this look halfway presentable enough to step in front of the camera. So, so anyway, what did I miss last week? Nothing too big, I hope. I mean, what are the chances that I go away for a week and it gets reported that there are very real concerns within some of the highest levels of American intelligence infrastructure, that there are worries that Donald Trump has been, and maybe still is, a literal witting or unwitting agent of a foreign adversary. Spoiler alert, the chances are 100%. Because last week it was revealed that after Donald Trump fired James Comey and then spilled highly sensitive top secret national security intelligence given to us by an ally when he invited the Russians into the Oval Office, only hours after Comey's firing, the Federal Bureau of Investigations opened a counterintelligence investigation into the current sitting U.S. president after they became worried that he was either, again, either a witting or unwitting Russian intelligence asset. And only a day or so later, reports have emerged that Donald Trump, that same possible Russian intel asset, has gone to extraordinary and unprecedented lengths to keep secret the details of his many conversations with Russian President Vladimir Putin, keeping the contents of those conversations secret from even his most senior diplomatic and national security aides. Our bumbling, cartoonish, human Happy Meal gift of a president has apparently gone as far as to go out of his way to even swipe the notes taken by his own interpreter and then ordering them not to discuss what had transpired during the meeting with anyone else within the administration. And this behavior isn't just par for the course for dumb guy Donald Trump, because there are extensive records of the conversations between him and other world leaders with whom he's spoken. But not so with Vladimir Putin. In fact, this treasonous secrecy is so widespread that according to reporting from the Washington Post, quote, U.S. officials said there is no detailed record, even in classified files, of Trump's face-to-face -face interactions with the Russian leader at five locations over the past two years, and that such a gap would be unusual in any presidency, let alone one that Russia sought to install through what U.S. intelligence agencies have described as an unprecedented campaign of election interference. Unquote. But listen, let's not jump to conclusions. We should give Donald Trump a chance to answer a yes or no whether or not he has now or ever worked for Russia. If only it were possible to know what his answer would be. Well, you're in luck, folks. We're all in luck because his pal, human smoker's voice, Janine Pirro on Fox News, asked him 
that very thing. I want to move on to another subject. New York Times uh, reported that the FBI opened a counterintelligence investigation the day after uh, you fired James Comey in, in May of 17. Uh, and, and, they, and the investigation was whether you were actively working for Russia or unwittingly. So I'm going to ask you, are you now or have you yeah, ever worked like for smoking. Russia, Mr. President? I think it's the most <laughs> insulting thing I've ever been asked. I think it's the most insulting article I've ever had written. Uh, and if you read the article, you see written? that they found absolutely nothing. But the, the headline of that article, it's called oh, The Failing New York Times for a reason. They've gotten me wrong for three years. They've actually gotten me wrong for many years before that. Huh. You, you know what answer I didn't hear there after the easiest yes or no question in the world for any American citizen? I didn't hear him say no. I heard him jockey and shift and squirm and harumph about how insulting the question was. But let me tell you, if someone thought they had reason to believe that I, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and patriot, was working for the Russian government, the answer wouldn't be, what? Oh, I can't believe you would ask me that. How disrespectful. Oh, The answer would be, no. No, I am not working for the Russian government, nor have I ever. And I'm a nobody. When you're president of the United States and you're asked that, you go out of your way to make certain that the answer is crystal, crystal clear. So I'll leave you with this thought for the day, everybody. Yeah, he... When asked if he does now or has ever worked for the Russian government, Donald Trump didn't deny it.
Robert Jr. Show, broadcasting live on the Thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for all your uh, your adulation of the show and of me. And that's surprising. It's always surprising. We've been on five years, folks. Can you believe that? Five years. And uh, basically, we it, the format of the show has been changed from time to time. And I'm looking to change it again. But anyway, you know, it's about whatever's going on in the United States. I try to keep it on what's going on in, in the United States of America because this is our country. We love our country and we should uh, protect it and, and fight for it, I think. Okay, Biden, Sanders, Harris, Warren, all of these folks topped the 2020 dim field in a new poll uh, for president excuse me, uh, uh, President of the United States, running for President of the United States 2020. Biden, Sanders, Harris, Warren. Uh, Biden and Sanders, they haven't uh, actually said that they were going to run, but you know they are. Okay, Vice President uh, Joe Biden and Vermont uh, Senator, Senator Bernie Sanders, neither of whom have, as I've just got through stating, uh, declared their candidacy for president yet are the leaders of the pack in the race for 2020 Biden and Sanders. Wow. Then comes Harris and then comes Warren. Uh, you would think that the women were first because I'm with uh, George Carlin. I think, I think it's the time for women. I really do. I think men have just fucked things up so badly. It's time for woman power or women power, whatever way you want to say it. And I do think, uh, even though I do think these people are adamant, I think they've uh, they ran or talked about running before, and now they're thinking about running again, these two guys. I think they're great, but I, I think, and I'm not sexist, and I'm not against you know males running for president of the United States. It's just that I'm listening. I, I'm uh, looking at who actually have screwed up the country. Men, men have screwed up the com- uh, up the. Co- excuse me, I can't even talk. Men have screwed up the company, uh, have screwed up the United States. I mean, you um, majority of the men in in Congress are uh, people in Congress are men, and they've screwed up the country. And I do think it's a time for women, and I. When I vote, I'm going to go out and vote for a woman. Not not that I think any less of Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. It's just that I feel that it's a time for women. I do feel it's a time for change in this country. Uh, uh, men have screwed things up really, really badly for this country, America. And uh, But I'm not telling people who to vote for, <laughs> where to vote, how to vote. You know, I'm just saying vote, period. You can vote for, for, for who you want. But I'm just saying I just think men, men have screwed up things really, really good in, in America. And maybe that's why we're where we are today because of men. I think it's time to give, give it to women. I mean, if you look at Congress, the House of Representatives, there's uh, 40 uh, women voted to Congress during the 2018 midterm, women, women of all stripes. I mean, women uh, of different nationalities and from different countries, but they're all Americans. But uh, however, they've been voted uh, uh, as representatives 
in the House of Representatives, headed by Nancy Pelosi, who, whom I think I – w- I doubted her f- at first. I really did doubt Nancy Pelosi, but she's shown that she is not going to fall under Donald Trump's thumb, and that's what I admire. She stood up to him. She just stood up to him, and he backed down like, like, like a crying little three-year-old child. She really stepped on him because Donald Trump is actually stepping on the United States once again. I mean, this shutdown, this shutdown that he engineered um, last year leading up to Christmas was just pathetic, pathetic. And I'm hearing right now that this, the, the, the shutdown that was coming in a few days has been averted. But I'm going to be cautious about that because Donald Trump uh, has not signed it, uh, signed the uh, spending bill to avert another shutdown. And he may sign it. He may not sign it. We know how this guy doesn't like things and how he changes his mind on a dime. So we're going to um, wait it out and see if he actually does sign a funding bill to keep America open. Because it doesn't make any sense to shut down the government and people are starving and kids are starving and people are out of work, 800,000 federal workers and their families, they have to eat and have to pay their bills. This guy thinks he's going to get reelected. He's got another thing coming. Anyway, uh, you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. show. That was Stacey Adams at the beginning of the show. She, not Stacey Adams, but I'm mispronouncing her name. Stacey Abrams. <laughs> she was she gave the uh, Democratic rebuttal uh, to Donald Trump's State of the Union. Uh, I think it was a week or so ago. And the only reason why I think Donald Trump opened back up the uh, back up the government uh, during that time so he can give that State of the Union address, you know, because Nancy Pelosi told him he couldn't give it as long as, as there was a shutdown. <laughs> but he decided, I'm a, I need to do the State of the Union. I need to tell people stuff. So he opened back up the government, I think, just so he can give the State of the Union address, just so he can beg for money, just so he can lie, just so he can try to pander to his base. You ever listen to Donald Trump giving a speech? I mean, this guy sounds like a three-year-old child reading a, 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 a college essay. <laughs> He really sounds bad. He really sounds awful. Uh, and he's so boring to listen to. <laughs> he really is. I mean, I, you know, I don't even want the guy on my television set because he's so boring to listen to. But he's out there in full campaign mode right now. He's at a. He's at a. Uh, he's at one of his rallies right now, and he's lying his ass off. I mean, this guy is lying. He's not only lying, but he's citing violence against the media. I mean, if you saw that photograph where some guy was being, you know, manhandled because he uh, was very, very violent and maybe physically violent to a BBC cameraman. And now a lot of the uh, Republicans in Congress, even the Democrats, are telling Donald Trump to cool it down, stop the hateful rhetoric. Stop inciting these crazy people to do violence against the media or against anybody. You think Donald Trump is going to listen? I mean, 
if you think about it, folks, we have a president of the United States who's exciting, who's citing violence against other people. Donald Trump has turned Americans against Americans, and he's very proud of that. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We'll be right back after this um, slight musical break. Let me see if we can find it. Can you find that uh, clip? Here we go. Um, We'll be right back. Welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. <laughs> no, that's not my uh, child. No way. <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, uh, you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, broadcasting live out of the city of Chicago, folks. Let's see here. All right. You're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. You're Hello. on. Hello. Hi, this is author T. Marie. Hi, author T. Marie. This is the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, Great to have you on. Thanks for doing the show. Can you speak up a little louder? Yes, absolutely. Is this any better? No. (laughs) Okay, how about now? That's better. That's, That's great, and I'm just kidding, okay? All right, so you have a new book. Tell us about your book. First of all, before you tell us about your book, give us a little bit of bio of yourself. Tell us what you've been doing and, and, and uh, what do you think think about uh, whatever you think about. Tell us about your book. Uh, and also you can read us an excerpt of your book. Okay. Well, again, my name is Audrey Marie, and I am originally from the South Bronx of New York, but I was raised in Northern Virginia. I am a married mother of three. And I have been living in Georgia for probably 17 years now. Um, Writing has always been my passion. So I have always had a lot of thoughts of things that I wanted to write about, but I just never really took the time to write them down. Um, Until one evening, I just had all these thoughts that were keeping me awake at night. And I, I just needed to get a notebook and get the thoughts out of my mind and onto paper. And it just turned into a whole book. So that is how my book was born, which is entitled Live, Love, Learn, A Walk Through Infidelity, Love, and Acceptance. And I am ready to read an excerpt. Okay, before you do that, uh, I have a question for you. How much of you are in your book? How much of, of yourself is based on your writings, if you are a character yourself, or are you basing some of your 
characters on people that you've known and some of your experiences? Okay, so that's a great question. Although the main character, which her name is Natasha, and I do have a lot of similarities, there is also some embellishment. So my book is realistic fiction. So there are some similarities, but then there are Mm -hmm. some um, embellishments to the stories as well. If it's not a story of my own, then it is someone that I know and is very loosely based on the truth. Well, I like I said before, you did send me a copy of the book, a PDF file, and I uh, uh, checked some parts of it out. And it is basically a, a, a story, uh, a people-oriented story, uh, people just going through ordinary things in their lives. Am I correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like there are multiple people who can um will be able to relate to my book very yeah, much though. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's beautiful. Um uh, are you planning on writing any more? Are you planning on um doing other things or just keep writing? Are you working on something now? Yes, I am planning on writing more and I am working on something now. I am working on a book actually being written with my husband. It's going to be a book okay. to our children. And it's going to be like a flip side book, things that every mother wants their daughter and son to know and things that every father wants their daughter and son to know. Okay, so majority of the stuff that you're writing, other people can relate to it and they can use it in their lives in case they're they're experiencing some of the things that you've experienced. So you're also giving little anecdotes in your book to help those uh, other people out here who might be going through some of the negative things that you write about in your books. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I even That's have because... a uh, workbook. Go ahead. I even have a, a workbook that mm-hmm. comes paired with the paperback if people do the pre-order, and it just kind of walks you through the steps um, of self-love and how to make yourself happy before you can find happiness anywhere yeah. else or with yeah. anyone else. That's great that you're doing something to help people, and that's what this show is all about, is making the world a better place, because there's so many people out there who need uh, uh, that kind of advice and those kinds of books in their life to help them see themselves as they read your material and try to you know, better themselves, and that's great, uh, because I, like I said before, I did uh, go through your book, and uh, it, it's it's... <laughs> It's pretty decent. It's it's a good book. And I, I like I said before, I gave you five stars uh just to keep you Thank writing. You. Because I know I know that, that when someone reviews your book and they tell you great things about it, uh uh that's the kind of support you would need so you can keep on doing it. You keep on doing it. Because the because the uh the more you write you know, the better you get at it. Anything you do, the more more you do of it, you're gonna get better and better and better and better. And Absolutely. one of the things I, one of the things I try to tell writers is, before you can write anything, you have to be a reader. You cannot write unless you are a reader. You know, because yeah. uh, you wanna you wanna look at how other people are writing their material and how a book is actually put together. Where you know basically you have your middle, you have your beginning, middle, and end. You know you're gonna have add a lot of detail in between that, of course. But you know, 
Uh, so yeah, and uh, I I just think it's great. It's great when people uh, uh, want to write and want to express themselves. I think writing is one of the greatest things anybody can do. But once you become a writer and an author, you always are a writer and an author, no matter what else you may decide you want to do. You know, and. <laughs> Uh, your title right. would be as a writer and an author, and that's great. Can you read us an excerpt? Absolutely. Uh, the excerpt that I have uh, chosen is Chapter 3, and the title uh-huh. of that chapter is Disconnection. Okay. Somewhere along the line, my husband decided to seek extramarital affairs unbeknownst to me. I mean, this man showed no signs of being with other women. Well, I guess if I was looking for something, I certainly wouldn't have been able to find it. I guess I was just so consumed with the household and the children that I just missed the memo. I must admit that ever since learning about his infidelity, I have had a sour taste in my mouth. Although I eventually forgave him and we decided to move on, at times I catch myself staring at him in his sleep, thinking of all the ways that I can get him back. Sometimes I see myself with my hands wrapped around his neck, choking the life out of him. I should have suspected something when I saw him sweat every time I watched shows like Snapped or Fatal Attraction. That should have been my first clue. But for now, I will smile and bite my tongue, and I'll stop there. Okay, <laughs> you don't want to give too much of it away. I I, I understand, but uh, you know even. <laughs> Even even hearing you read that uh, little bit that that little excerpt, I was leaning back in my chair here and listening. I was engrossed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can engross me, you can engross other readers, other <laughs> listeners. You know. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sitting back, relaxing, and suddenly you say, "That's it. That's all." You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't want to go too far. I could have kept going. I, I understand. I, I understand. I, I'm just saying how engrossed I was. I I, I was at, at that little paragraph that you were reading. And as I've uh, been trying to tell you, and I've been sending you uh, messages and, and inboxing you, that you should probably uh, think about self-publishing. That way okay. you don't have to you don't have to rely on anybody uploading your material, uh, waiting for someone to do this or do that or do this or do that. You have one hundred percent control of your own work, as I do. Uh, you have one hundred. You don't have to because I've been going all over the place trying to find a, find somewhere uh, where I can actually write a decent review about. Your this particular book that you're talking about, and I, you don't even have right. that. You don't even have it on your website where people can. You just got pre-order, pre-order the book, you know. So, uh, no, I, I like I said, when section. It, you do. Uh huh. Yeah, I have a book review section on my website. Okay, then I'll take another look at it. I may have skipped. Okay. It. Okay. But whenever you get it, but whenever you um um uh. Upload it to Amazon. Uh, I'm going to keep looking for it because I'm all, I do want to give it a review because having a review okay. does make your book look good. Even if it's just one or two or three positive reviews, it makes your book look good. It's, it's sort of an added 
you know, um, uh, um, an ad. I can't think of the word. Anyway, it makes your books look good, and people will uh, uh, stop by and uh, uh, check it out. So how is the book – how are people reacting to it, especially the pre-orders? How are the pre-orders going? Oh, wow. The pre-orders, um, for me, I feel like it's, it's doing well. I'm sure that uh, New York Times mm-hmm. bestsellers or celebrities books may be better. But um, so far I have received 25 pre-orders, and I've been advertising wow. pre-orders, yeah, since um, the beginning of January. So um, I, I feel like I'm I'm doing pretty well so far. Um, some people I know, some people I don't know. I did have a test market before the book was finished and it was out for pre-order, and I do have some reviews on my website there. Um, I believe it's three reviews from people who have read it, and they just have really found a character in the book to relate to. And so. One of my readers even said that it brought her to tears because she, you know, was married for 10 years and got divorced. And it reopened those wounds, but then it also made her feel happy that she made it to the other side herself, even though her side wasn't to stay in her marriage. But she was happy and wished that she had a book like this to read when she was going through her own turmoil. See, that's what it's all about, uh, helping bu- helping others through your own experience by writing about it. Because, you know, if you're going right. through something, there must be a million other people going through some, some of the same, same things. And by reading your book, you're helping them out to try to, you know, deal with it in a positive way. You know, I, I think it's right. great. So, uh, and also, it's a motivating factor for you to keep on writing. Am I correct? Absolutely, because you know when you have when you're writing and you have ideas and you think that they sound good and you think that yeah. the thoughts are gonna come across the way that you want them to come across, you really don't know until someone else who's not inside of your head gets their hands on it. You really don't know how it will impact people, and I've just been blown away by um, the feedback that I've received. I put a, an excerpt out on my Facebook and my Instagram page and the response was overwhelming as well. They were like, wait, we need more. That wasn't enough. And that, I mean, that's the reaction that I'm looking for. Yeah. That, that, that's a positive reaction. That's a positive reaction. And, uh, you know, I mean, um, like when I publish a book, I mean, I, I, I do everything to the book, everything. If you, if you read one of my books, if you, uh, or, or stories. I have books and stories. If you read and essays, uh, mm-hmm. if you read one of them, uh, uh, and, and you tell me that you read read one of them, I'm going, oh my mm-hmm. god, they didn't read that garbage. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always nervous when someone says, George, we done picked up your book, we done read your book, we about to go read your book. I'm going, oh my god, oh no, oh. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I'm always so that's I don't know. Normal then. Yeah, it's normal, but but you always wonder what kind of you wonder when people say they're gonna get your book, they're gonna read your book, you're gonna read your book, you're gonna read your book. Uh, you you wonder what their reactions is gonna be like. You know, mm-hmm. you wonder because you people 
I mean, if they're going to pay money for your book, they expect a good book. I mean, they expect a good book. Right. Uh, and a lot of times I have reviewed books uh, and and they were not good books. There were misspellings here, misspelling there, grammar errors here. You know, so you know, by me being, um, I don't hire anybody whatsoever to edit my book. I do my own editing. And if I, if, mm-hmm. if people, if people pick up an error or a grammar mistake, I'll say, hey, that grammar mistake and that error belongs to me, not to no publisher, not to anybody but me. I'm solely to blame for it. But before I put a book up there, I'm going to make sure that it's somewhat near perfect, you know, and that takes time. That takes time. That takes, you know, it, it takes out of your day. But you want, when you put, when you upload a book, when you publish a book, you want to make it as near perfect as possible because you want your readers to have that great, great experience, you know? So, so whatever, I just published a book today and I'm always, I'm always, uh, 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 apprehensive about it. But whenever I get positive feedback from something that I've written and most of the time I do, uh, that's a great feeling that it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling saying, Hey, wow, these people, paid this much for this book and they totally totally like it and and they learned something from mm-hmm. it and they've gotten something wow. out of it and and they are uh uh saying that they're going to tell other people about it and that's great that's beautiful and that's and that's what keeps me going i mean that's what keeps me going to a certain point so um right. tell everybody what you Tell everybody out here, and people are going to be listening now. They're listening now. They're going to be listening after we get off off the air today. So tell everybody where they can find your book. Give us your name. Give us give us websites where we can go find it, and uh, so people can be helped. Absolutely. So you can find my book now on my website, which is www.author. T Marie, that's A U T H O R T E E M A R I E dot com. And right now the pre order is available, which includes the digital version of the workbook if you want to work through um, the steps of self love. That is included in a bundle deal until Friday, February the 15th. Um, if you would like to follow me on social media, my Instagram handle is at the letter T, the number 24, Marie, M-A-R-I-E. And you can also find me on Facebook at Author T. Marie. All right. Like I said, I'm going to go to your website. and I'm going to give you uh, the review that you deserve. And I'm also going to, once the show is over, and in about 30 minutes to an hour, I'm going to send you the link to this show. So you can put the link okay. to the show that you're on on your website and your fans, your readers can come by and listen to you on this show on your website. How's that? Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'll get the link out in about an hour or so. Um, how do you want it? Do you want me to send it in Gmail or you want it inbox on Facebook? Either way, as long as I can okay. pull it, um, you can send it to, I believe you have my G Suite email. But, um, yeah, you can send it to me through Facebook. Yeah, the okay. info at okay. authortmarie.com. Okay, yeah. I'll send you the link. Um, 
with Gmail because I, that may be a, a better way of you uh, getting the link off off there and into your website. Okay, so that's okay. Um, author T Marie at Gmail dot com. All right, T uh, T, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I was looking forward to you being on the show tonight, and thanks for doing the show. And I'll get that link out to you. And good luck with the rest of your writings. You, I mean, if you get another book, if you if you write another book, make sure you come on the show and we will push it for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to feature me this evening. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. T. Marie on the George Wilder Jr. Show.
All I wanted was a much-deserved promotion, and he told me to get up on the desk and spread them. All the men in my office wrote down on a piece of paper the sexual favors that I could do for them. All I had asked for was an office with a window. I asked for his advice about how I could get a bill out of committee. He asked me if I brought my knee pads. Those are just a few of the horrific stories that I heard from women over the last year as I've been investigating workplace sexual harassment, and what I've found out is that it's an epidemic across the world. It's a horrifying reality for millions of women when all they want to do every day is go to work. Sexual harassment doesn't discriminate. You can wear a skirt, hospital scrubs. Army fatigues. You can be young or old, married or single, black or white. You can be a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I heard from so many women, police officers, members of our military, financial assistants, actors, engineers, lawyers, bankers, accountants, teachers, journalists.、Nobody. Sexual harassment, it turns out, is not about sex. It's about power, and about what somebody does to you to try and take away your power. And I'm here today to encourage you to know that you can take that power back. <laughs> On July 6, 2016. I jumped off a cliff all by myself. It was the scariest moment of my life, an excruciating choice to make. I fell into an abyss all alone, not knowing what would be below. But then something miraculous started to happen. Thousands of women started reaching out to me to share their own stories of pain and agony and shame. They told me that I became their voice. They were voiceless, and suddenly I realized that even in the 21st century, every woman still has a story. Like Joyce, a flight attendant supervisor whose boss in meetings every day would tell her about the porn that he'd watched the night before while drawing penises on his notepad. She went to complain. She was called crazy and fired. Like Joanne, Wall Street banker. Her male colleagues would call her that vile c-word every day. She complained, labeled a troublemaker, never to do another Wall Street deal again. Like Elizabeth, an army officer, her male subordinates would wave one-dollar bills in her face and say, "Dance for me." And when she went to complain to a major, he said, "What? Only one dollar? You're worth at least five or ten." After reading. Replying to all, and crying over all of these emails, I realized I had so much work to do. Here are the startling facts: one in three women that we know of have been sexually harassed in the workplace. Seventy-one percent of those incidences never get reported. Why? Because when women come forward, 
They're still called liars and troublemakers and demeaned and trashed and demoted and blacklisted and fired. Reporting sexual harassment can be, in many cases, career-ending. Of all the women that reached out to me, almost none are still today working in their chosen profession, and that is outrageous. I, too, was silent in the beginning. It happened to me at the end of my year as Miss America, when I was meeting with a very high-ranking TV executive in New York City. I thought he was helping me throughout the day, making a lot of phone calls. We went to dinner, and in the back seat of a car, he suddenly lunged on top of me and stuck his tongue down my throat. I didn't realize that to get into the business, silly me, he also intended to get into my pants. And just a week later, when I was in Los Angeles meeting with a high-ranking publicist, it happened again, again in a car, and he took my neck in his hand and he shoved my head so hard into his crotch I couldn't breathe. These are the events that suck the life out of all of your self-confidence. These are the events that until recently, I didn't even call assault. And this is why we have so much work to do. After my year as Miss America, I continued to meet a lot of well-known people, including Donald Trump. When this picture was taken in 1988, nobody could have ever predicted where we'd be today. <laughs> Me, fighting to end sexual harassment in the workplace. He, President of the United States, in spite of it. And shortly thereafter, I got my first gig in television news in Richmond, Virginia. Check out that confident smile with the bright pink jacket. Not so much the hair. <laughs> I was working so hard to prove that blondes have a lot of brains. But ironically, one of the first stories I covered was the Anita Hill hearings in Washington, D.C. And shortly thereafter, I too was sexually harassed in the workplace. I was covering a story in rural Virginia, And when we got back into the car, my cameraman started saying to me, wondering how much I had enjoyed when he touched my breasts when he put the microphone on me, and it went downhill from there. I was bracing myself against the passenger door. This was before cell phones. I was petrified. I actually envisioned myself rolling outside of that door as the car was going 50 miles per hour, like I'd seen in the movies, and wondering how much it would hurt. When the story about Harvey Weinstein came to light, one of the most well-known movie moguls in all of Hollywood, the allegations were horrific. But so many women came forward, and it made me realize what I had done meant something. He had such a lame excuse. He said he was a product of the 60s and 70s, and that that was the culture then. Yeah. That was the culture then, and unfortunately, it still is. Why? Because of all the myths that are still associated with sexual harassment. Women should just take another job and find another career. 
Yeah, right. Tell that to the single mom working two jobs, trying to make ends meet, who's also being sexually harassed. Women, they bring it on themselves by the clothes that we wear and the makeup that we put on. Yeah, I guess those hoodies that Uber engineers wear in Silicon Valley are just so provocative. <laughs> Women make it up. Yeah, because it's so fun and rewarding to be demeaned and taken down. I would know. Women bring these claims because they want to be famous and rich. Our own president said that. I bet Taylor Swift, one of the most well-known and richest singers in the world, didn't need more money or fame when she came forward with her groping case for one dollar. And I'm so glad she did. Breaking news: the untold story about women and sexual harassment in the workplace. Women just want a safe, welcoming, and harass-free environment. That's it. So, how do we go about getting our power back? I have three solutions. Number one, we need to turn bystanders and enablers into allies. Ninety-eight percent of United States corporations right now have sexual harassment training policies. Seventy percent have prevention programs. But still, overwhelmingly, bystanders and witnesses don't come forward. In 2016, the Harvard Business Review called it the bystander effect. And yet, remember 9/11. Millions of times we've heard, "If you see something, say something." Imagine how impactful that would be if we carried that through to bystanders in the workplace regarding sexual harassment, to recognize and interrupt these incidences, to confront the perpetrators to their face, to help and protect the victims. This is my shout out to men. We need you in this fight, and to women too, enablers, to allies. Number two, change the laws. How many of you out there know whether or not you have a forced arbitration clause in your employment contract? Not a lot of hands, and if you don't know, you should. And here's why. Time magazine calls it right there on the screen. The teeny tiny little print in contracts that keeps sexual harassment claims unheard. Here's what it is: forced arbitration takes away your Seventh Amendment right to an open jury process. It's secret. You don't get the same witnesses or depositions. In many cases, the company picks the arbitrator for you. There are no appeals, and only 20% of the time does the employee win. But again. It's secret, so nobody ever knows what happened to you. This is why I've been working so diligently on Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. to change the laws. And here's what I tell the senators: Sexual harassment is apolitical. Before somebody harasses you, they don't ask you if you're a Republican or Democrat first. They just do it. And this is why we should all care. Number three: Be fierce. It starts when we stand tall. And we build that self-confidence, and we stand up, and we speak up, and we tell the world what happened to us. 
I know it's scary, but let's do it for our kids. Let's stop this for the next generations. I know that I did it for my children. They were paramount in my decision making about whether or not I would come forward. My beautiful children, my 12-year-old son Christian, my 14-year-old daughter Kaya, and boy, did I underestimate them. The first day of school last year happened to be the day my resolution was announced, and I was so anxious about what they would face. And my daughter came home from school, and she said, "Mommy, so many people asked me what happened to you over the summer." And then she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, "And mommy." I was so proud to say that you were my mom. And two weeks later, when she finally found the courage to stand up to two kids who'd been making her life miserable, she came home to me and she said, "Mommy, I found the courage to do it because I saw you do it." You see, giving the gift of courage is contagious, and I hope that my journey has inspired you, because right now it's the tipping point. We are watching history happen. More and more women are coming forward and saying, "Enough is enough." Here's my one last plea to companies. Let's hire back all those women whose careers were lost because of some random jerk. Because here's what I know about women: we will no longer be underestimated, intimidated, or set back. We will not be silenced by the ways of the establishment or the relics of the past. No. We will stand up and speak up and have our voices heard. We will be. The women we were meant to be, and above all, we will always be fierce. Thank you.
can't believe everything you see in the press. You can't believe everything uh, you read in the press. Uh, I don't think Democrats are are helping Trump to win uh, uh, in 2020, at least not the ones on the ground, not the grassroots Democrats. You You may have a few assholes in Congress, but no, no, no. These Democrats are being targeted by Trump. Uh, okay, let's see what it says. I'm on CNN here. Let's see what the articles are talking about. Because, I mean, we went out there and we busted our butts to get these Democrats voted into uh, uh, the House of Representatives. And we had a um, we had a pretty good idea of what we wanted them to do. We didn't want them to cave in. Okay, this is how – let's see what it says. How Democrats get out of the way. You you were ever on the computer, and when you're on the computer, you're trying to do stuff on the computer, and all of these pop-ups <laughs> come along. And when you're trying to read something or study something or, or or something on the computer, and just interruptions all over the place. Okay, Donald Trump is, by all measures, going to have a very difficult time winning a second term next November. Oh, yeah, he's going to have a – I mean, he, he might as well re- – might as well resign. It's going to be so bad for Donald Trump. He probably should resign. He lost a popular vote in 2016 by almost 3 million votes. He's deeply polarizing. He's a deeply polarizing figure whose job approval ratings have never crested 50% in his presidency. To date, he could face a serious primary challenge. And I've been saying that for a long time. Donald Trump needs a primary challenger. He needs to be primary. All the Republicans are going to lose this thing really bad. Donald Trump is so unpopular. He is so unpopular. He is unpopular to the fact that he's hated, not just in America, but around the world for his misgivings, his misdeeds, and all of his crimes. And yet in the past two weeks, Democrats have handed Trump two issues on a golden platter, and is already and it's already clear he's seizing on them big time. Democrats should never give Donald Trump they can let me say that again. A Democrat should never give Donald Trump something that he could bash him over the head with. Or he may just uh make it all political. Political. Donald Trump will not resign. People are saying he should resign. He's not going to resign. Why? I've said this a thousand times. He's not going to resign because he loves power. He's not going to resign because if he does resign, he becomes a private citizen and the indictments will come. Donald Trump likes being president. No matter how much he gripes that it's a boring job, he barely does anything anyway. No matter how much he gripes, it's boring. And no matter how much he lies about the media and the press as being the bad guys, the enemy of the people, the only enemy we have is Donald Trump. I mean, if you check out his rally today, it was straight up uh, vintage Donald Trump. It was vintage Donald Trump. Violence, 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 violence. He kicks up the hate. He ignites the hate. And violence, and it appears this is what this man does. I mean, even the Republicans are saying, hey, Donald Trump, 
cool down the rhetoric. Cool it down, man. Cool it down at your rallies. He should be impeached on that for just exciting, uh, revving up the hate and violence in America, which in turn is nothing more than just turning Americans against each other, Americans fighting Americans. It's almost like you can't even go out into the uh, uh, the street anymore, or you can't even uh, uh, take a walk down the street or uh, or walk to your car without somebody you don't know, you don't know anything about them, come up to you and start yelling in your face. That's more likely a Donald Trump supporter. I've had it done to me. I've known other people who have had it done. People have talked about it, that they've had it done. They, I mean, they can't even walk to the neighborhood store without somebody inside the store yelling and screaming uh, 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 that they are Donald Trump wearing a red hat, M-A-G-A. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And Donald Trump just constantly, constantly, constantly um, cite violence at rallies. And he's basically in campaign mode. So he's going to be doing these rallies maybe once or twice, maybe three times a month. And he's going to be really, really revving up, citing the hate and the stupid. They're going to go for it. I mean, all of these bombs that were sent to prominent people, people who criticized bomb, people who criticized Donald Trump, excuse me, were sent bombs, as you probably have heard of. Donald Trump... <laughs> <laughs> he did not say much on that. One of his supporters was sending these prominent Democrats, people who uh, uh, were critical or are crit- critical of Donald Trump, were getting letter bombs. That's uh, a playbook of uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, his best friend, his lover. But I'm sad to say that Donald Trump, his dictator dreams are over. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, man. Uh, you want you wanting to be like Adolf Hitler? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Not since the Democrats won the House of Representatives in the midterm elections last year, 2018. It ain't going to happen, man. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just about off the air. Uh I want to thank my guest, Tina Marie, for being such a great sport and putting up with me <laughs> and the show. Uh, uh, we have a few more minutes, so we've got to uh, probably do this, okay? But let me say this. Donald Trump, uh, we don't even really know if this guy is going to make it to the to, to uh, 2020. Excuse me. Uh, we don't even know if he's going to make it to 2020. A lot of people are saying he may not make it to 2020. And a lot of people are wondering what the hell is wrong with special counsel Robert Mueller. When will he, when will he finalize his final report? A lot of Republicans are saying, hurry the hell up, Mueller. What's wrong? Get this over with. And we're saying the same thing. Get this over with. This is gone on too damn long.
settling in. Bill Cosby is he's in prison for uh I don't know, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, rape, I don't know. Anyway, um the comedian, I mean he's probably 82 or 83 years old and he says it's fine with him. It's great. <laughs> well, if it's great with Bill Cosby, then it's I guess if he likes it, we have to love it, you know. Uh, but I I think he was railroaded. I mean, they sent in a guy to prison who's in his late seventies. You know, he he hasn't got that long on earth. Yeah. But if you listen to my guest yesterday, uh, she was talking about never, never ever be afraid of dying. And uh, so many people are. Uh, yeah. She. It was a good show yesterday. I I think everybody should probably. Uh, stream it and download it or whatever because that was a good show with her. Um, that was the second time she was on the show and she gave a good good show. She said, "Never be afraid to die," and she gives some good details. And she's not a quack, okay? She's she's not crazy. She's not loony, right? Okay. Uh, I've had people on the show like that before, but this lady's not. And I always try to have people on the show whether I you know agree with them or not. And I try to you know accommodate them and you know. And then get them off. <laughs> but seriously, she was she was um, she was beautiful, and she's saying, and, and a lot of that stuff makes sense. It makes so much sense. I went and purchased her book. That's how much how much it uh, how much I thought uh, of what she was talking about was credible. Okay, the George Wilder Jr. Show is off the air, folks. I want to thank for listening. I want to thank my guest T Marie, who was beautiful, and uh, make sure you join me tomorrow. Join me tomorrow. The George Wilder Jr. Show will be on tomorrow. (laughs) 
We've been on for five years, folks, and we love it. We truly love it. You've made the George Wilder Jr. Show a uh, uh, household word. Words. Uh, you listen to the show, you like it, make sure you go tell everybody about it. And make sure you go check out my writings on Amazon. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. See you tomorrow. Have a great one. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay beautiful. Bye.